Welcome to the Culture Creators Podcast. And today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Borby Webster. Lovely to be here. Indeed. Thank you very much for being here in my very first episode. I love that I'm your first episode. Yes, as a founder of things. As a founder of things, correct. So you are the former CEO of Perth Symphony Orchestra. That is right. Do you want to give me uh, and the listener just a very quick summary of your background of you know, what you've done and how you've come to be here today, sitting on your own couch talking to me about culture? Oh gosh, yes. Um, look, in a nutshell, I'm a musician and passionate about music. I had a few experiences that taught me that without commercial acumen, um, it was very hard to do anything proactive in music. You were purely told where to show up and what to do. So it almost takes the creativity out of it. So threw myself into the corporate world, climbed the ladder, did an MBA, wanted to do something in music, saw a huge need here in Western Australia for a symphony orchestra that did things differently. There's absolutely nothing wrong um, with the existing symphony orchestra here, they're absolutely wonderful, but there was a massive space that needed filling. And so I set about creating that and that's what I've done for the last 12 years. But um, on that journey, learned a huge amount about culture, mm. not only about what kind of culture I wanna create you know, internally, mm. but also as part of the bigger family, like what I'm trying to create in terms of the brand and how that translates into a, a wider culture. Um, but also understanding that you can design it, that it doesn't happen by accident. Mm. So that's been quite um, interesting going, wow, actually I can shape this proactively yes. as opposed to just letting it be the product of the people that are involved. Mm. So I guess at, at what point when you created Perth Symphony Orchestra, did you start to think about the internal culture of it? Was it something that you thought about straight away or was it more as you got going? Not at all straight away, like bottom of the radar. Getting, initially you were just focused on how do I do this and making stuff work. And it was only when we started to get a larger team and I realized how every single new person that joined the team, which in a small team is a big percentage of your workforce, mm. you know, in BHP, 20% of their workforce would be a vast number of people. Yes. But when you only have five staff, yes. you know, 20% is not much at all. And that one person could really shift how everyone worked right. and how everyone felt. So that's when I began to realize actually, you know, no, I, I actually have to be conscious of it. Um, think about what I want and need, recruit against it, demonstrate behaviors. Right. All of those kind of things. So no, it's definitely been something that as we've grown the number of employees and diversified those employees and got people from very, you know, really diverse backgrounds mm. that it's need it's come to the fore as something that's actually very important. So you're talking about the, the team that was, just so we're clear, the team that was sort of administering the orchestra or are we talking about everything including the musicians um, as well both because as i became aware of that it made me wonder what the impact was of how we were being on the wider orchestral group yes so obviously um well not obviously your listeners won't know but this the the way that Perth symphony works is because we have to be very agile we have to grow and shrink as needs demand our all our musicians are contractors right however you know they are very invested and yes. very passionate and feel part of our family and very much feel part of Perth Symphony, even though it's just we are one of many people that employ them. Yes. There is something about us 
that enables them to feel connected. And I began to realize that that too needed nurturing yes. and attention and time. Right. So here's the question that goes to the nub of it. How do you actually see culture? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Well, for me, culture is how you behave, how you feel, how you perceive, um, where, what and how you do every single day. So it is, it's the personality and the style and the behaviours of your organisation. Right, so we're saying the organisation itself has a personality. Yeah, it develops one the more... Me as the founder, it was me. Yes. Because so you, I am you gave literally... It life. Yes, so I gave it life. And if you had any connection with Per Symphony, it was going to be with me. But obviously, as we grew, you, you could quite easily just talk to my production manager if you were a staging supplier and never meet me. Yes. And therefore, what was their perception of what Per Symphony was like as a place to work? Right. And you would base that on the communication with her. Right. So what she was empowered to do, what she felt her job was, how she communicated, what that modus operandi was like, you know, would absolutely dictate how I felt Per Symphony's culture was perceived externally and whether we were a great place to work. Mm. So we have something that has a personality in and of itself. Yes. Right. And how do you see the individuals interacting with that entity's personality? Still in a founder company, they're going to really pick up on, if you can't work with me, then you, you can't be there. You know, yeah. so my personality, obviously, you know. Was me, you, yes. or me, the personality of the company? Me, me you, me, yes. as in Bobby Webster. Yes. So, you know, that was still incredibly dominant. But, um, you know, I've, I've realised as people join and they are very different. <laughs> people are very very different mm. that the company will always just shift a little with each new person that joins mm. and therefore the culture absolutely still gets influenced by me and my values particularly yes um and my modus operandi but it's never completely me now so it's begun to shift away from being the founder to being its own thing but it's going to be very hard it will take a it may shift eventually but it will take a long time for that legacy of my mm. um style of leadership the culture that i've created through my behaviors and um, what i wanted to see happen and you know how i just led the team um i think that will take quite a while to change completely mm. so your mark will live at it for yeah. some time um in terms of the the culture ha um what were the sort of specific things that you did so you, you mentioned you got to a point where you realized you you had to start considering this other entity and where that was going i mean obviously you're the ceo so you have a position of influence within the whole thing mm -hmm. um to organize and see how see fit where it goes um what were some of the things that you had to have to had to actually actively do to steer maintain and direct this other entity so many things when we started out i started the business from home hmm. anyone who worked for me had to come and work in my house i cooked lunch and often dinner if we had a show every so it was like you know a large family hmm. so the company was very much an extension of that 
Um, and we just needed to grow up and be more professional and create a place that didn't feel like you were joining the clan, <laughs> some right. kind of family, but joining a corporate. So that required a massive shift. Obviously, you know, the first signal of that is find a space in which to work that is an office that's neutral for all of us. So the personality of that place isn't just the personality of me, surrounded by my belongings and my taste and my everything. Uh. So that was a massive shift where, you know, you could really feel the ho- the whole mindset of everyone's perception, even the orchestra's perception of, oh, we go to the office now to pick up our stuff, not Bobby's house. Right. So, you know, it's amazing how all these different things can really shift, um, you know, the culture of the company, how it feels to work there. You know, it shifted overnight really strongly. Hmm. And even I went, okay, I'm going to work now. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas that delineation hadn't happened. So there have been many sort of key points like that that have really shifted yes. how we see ourselves and therefore how we behave within it. You know, I, 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 I moved to the country two years ago, Bryn, or a year and a half. And, you know, I say to people all the time, I didn't realise that changing my house could change my life. But I also didn't realise how much changing your office could change your culture. Yes. And it just shows a home where you go every day massively changes how you feel. So our first office was a cupboard in a school music department. Right. (laughs) At that time, we felt like, brilliant because it was ours and it was our own dedicated space and it wasn't the house. But, you know, after a while, particularly, you know, with new employees coming in going, oh. Is this it? So you're not, you know, from the outside, we were doing these huge concerts for 10,000 people and, you know, we had a great brand, you know, we had a Mm. fabulous brand agency anthology make us look like, you know, we were Rio Tinto, but we we were still this tiny, tiny thing. And that kind of perception, you know, needed to shift. So again, changing to what was perceived as a better office so yeah i think the environment has had a massive profound impact Mm. on how we've seen ourselves and therefore what the vibe of the team is right you know that kind of thing a lot Mm. Mm. so that's interesting the actual place that you put it in Mm. has the impact into the culture as well yeah i think pride is a huge thing in terms of culture development. Mm. Having pride in um, the place that you work as an organization in terms of what it does, its purpose, but also proud that I work in this really cool yeah. place. And I often used to wonder, why do, why do these huge corporates spend these vast amount of sums on these enormous like marble-clad foyer offices? You know, you and I have both worked in London and yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. I get it now. I actually get it because people are like, oh, I feel grown up now. I'm in the city. I'm in this. This yeah. is my office. Wow, I must work for someone. You know, and of course that's not it. You know, we all know that the shine wears off eventually and there's an awful lot more of this involved as you progress. Yeah. As in, you know, um, if that doesn't align and the purpose of the company and all that kind of stuff. But as an initial um, setting the tone, which I think tone is part of culture, that pride thing of going, wow, I'm, I'm proud that I work here, particularly when you've come from a humble background. So again, you know, we are different because we're a company that's founded and grown from scratch in yes. the last decade. But, um, you know, feeling that sense of pride that we had a, you know, when we moved out of the cupboard and we're very grateful for the cupboard. I mean, goodness oh, yes. me, we were very, very grateful for our cupboard, but I wouldn't say we were proud of where we worked. Mm. So then our transition to a street frontage office with our name on the 
window on the street was really quite remarkable for everyone. Hmm. As um, obviously, Bobby gave birth to PSO and PSO developed its own personality and a culture and everybody within a culture gets influenced. Did you notice how the culture was coming back and influencing you over time? I had to adapt. I don't, I don't look, I'm probably not emotionally intelligent enough to know if it was influencing me, Bryn, but um, I definitely would say that um, I realized, you know, that as the orchestra grew, it was getting way, way bigger than me. Right. And I needed to be far more consultative than directative. Yes. the right word? God. <laughs> um, you know, and I had to listen way more and I had to kind of go, okay. And consensus. All of that kind of stuff. Mm. Because there was an increasing sense of ownership of everybody the longer ah. they were part of it. And, you know, it was, it was really, um, and it still is, there are so many musicians that are like, God, I'm so loyal to PSO. And I'm like, you know what an interesting phrase because basically we ring you and say do you want to play and we're offering you money and you're a freelance musician of course you're going to say yes is that loyalty like you just turn up when you're booked you know what is loyalty mm. but the fact that they were saying that clearly meant that yes they were just turning up and essentially doing what they're contracted to do but there was more that they had this um buy-in this sense of ownership this sense of pride this sense of belonging beyond the fact that they were just booked Hmm. Even if I hadn't seen any behaviours that would remotely suggest loyalty as yes. a behaviour. I mean, you know, just that there isn't a huge amount of freelance work in full symphony orchestras yeah. in Western Australia. So if you're offered it, you're going to say yeah, yes. I suppose that is the, you know, br brutal transactional truth yeah, of it. Yeah, 100%. But by them saying that they felt loyal or, you know, um, I've been really loyal to Per Symphony for 10 years, all this kind of stuff. And it made me really realise okay, you know, I'm, I am the custodian of these people's, our musicians, um, passion, commitment, you know, in their minds. Yeah. So even though you can't see it, and you know, as in they're, they're purely turning up to work, which of course they would. I mean, they've accepted the booking, so why yeah. wouldn't they? But there's a sense of connection to something. Yeah, and that does change you because then you, you feel that you're carrying that and you have to um, nurture it and respect it and understand that's how people feel. Hmm. Was there points in its growth journey where, you know, like fostering a child or some, you know, parenting a child where it had teething problems and you were thinking, Ooh, we need to be careful. oh, look, we definitely have, you know, like several times, you know, internally with the team, um, with the musicians, with clients, you know, that I was whole. Say, how do you balance individual needs and demands? particularly if they become somewhat, I don't know, inflated or elevated compared to the need to maintain a culture? I think that has, going back a step, um, before I started the orchestra, I worked for an engineering firm and I was a very young executive, one of 11 execs in the firm. And, you know, we did the usual, let's get together every year for a retreat and do leadership training and every six months we'd have a personal growth whatever and you know all that kind of stuff and you know they kept going on about purpose and you know you work for an engineering firm who just builds some stuff at least I thought you know never quite understood the whole why is this whole purpose thing you know just follow your strategy and achieve your goals you know 
I've now really understood, and goodness me, engineering firms have incredible purposes. You know, they're essentially constructing the world around us to enable us to do what we do. But never before has that been so damn important when I suddenly realized, my God, I just have to keep reinforcing the whole reason we're in this is for that to get, you know, and our mission is music for everyone. It is literally about connecting every Western Australian. And we cannot sit there and play Rachmaninoff to all of them because they don't all need that and therefore it's not going to connect them. So we have to keep focusing on we do what we do and we will, you know, do things that don't suit everybody, but we're all on board because we all agree that it's yes. really important that everybody can find a way to experience the amazing feelings that a symphony orchestra gives you. And, you know, that that really has cascaded down, you know, in terms of, you know, I don't think you can design a culture or set a culture or be consistent in what is our culture if you haven't absolutely understood that's where we're going and that's who we are and then what are our values right and so how we go about achieving that and if they are consistent then your culture can move around but it's still what you want it to be it still has those pillars yeah so i you know i always used to think that was very academic that we'd all write this you know vision mission values purpose yes and, you know, let's just get through that bit and then we can get onto the good strategy bit. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? And now I'm, okay, got this now. Fully understood it, seen it in action, understood its importance. And now I espouse that to everyone else that I meet. So <laughs> have you got your purpose sorted? Do you know why you're doing this? Because if you don't, nothing else is going to hold tight. It will wobble. No, no, everything will blow around. Yeah. And then the culture will move. Yes as well and blow around so you know you asking you know i've had some really challenging years and last year would have been la creme de la creme also known as anus horribilis yeah. you know in terms of wobbles internally and we we got through and you know came out blazing the other side but my god i had to question so am i doing this right you know should i just completely change my personality and be different should i da 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 mm. as a leader do I need to change everything internally? And I thought, my God, no, there are absolutely things that need to change, but not how we do things, you know, not the the purpose. That's all okay. So it required tweaks, but actually it's like, you can't just say if in a small company, when a whole, whole lot of new people join and they want it to be something, okay, let's just go your way, you know, drop it. You can't, you're literally yes. like, well, then you need to work out, are you the right fit with us? You know, and are we the right fit with you? Because if not, we will never, you know, we are on that. We're like a freight train, you know, we are fast moving, but also very heavy. So for us to stop and do that is going to rattle the company way more than us actually acknowledging. Hmm. Maybe we're just not the right fit. It's interesting you said that you thought about whether you need to change your personality as a leader. Yeah. That's pretty. But how, how would you even do that? I know, because you, you really question yourself, you know, if things aren't going right and you're like, hang on a minute, if the one common link is me, you know, but then I was like, actually, no, it's, I mean, God, you know, we can all improve and do things differently. Mm. But I was like, no, I'm not, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've been getting people excited and I've had plenty of, that, you know, the team go, this is one of the most extraordinary companies I've ever worked for. So I'm like, there's an awful lot going on that's good, mm. you know, and it's, if you're not quite the right fit, how much do I change to be... You know, and I was like, I can't, we can't, we can't now. We, we've set our values. We've said this is how we do things. So we just need to keep going in that direction. And would it be the case that, you know, you've mentioned the fact that Perth Symphony Orchestra, its culture had a personality of its own. Yeah. 
and often I observe that you know, people look at other people and want to be like them for whatever reason. Yeah. But you will never be like them. Mm. You will be like you. And we and that is the case as well with companies as well, where sometimes people join or sometimes sometimes people have been in a company for quite some time and they want the personality of a company to be like the one that they're looking at yeah. that's not the one they're working in. Yes. And they want the personality to be different, yet the personality is what it is because that's where it came from. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, you know, that whole sort of case study, and I don't even know if this is true, Bryn, but, you know, um, Ministry of Sound was in a kind of run-down but <clears throat> ubiquitous part of London, you know, in terms of the nightclub. So all the kind of pink shirted lawyers were like well we want to be a bit more cool and edgy rather than stuffy so we're all going to move in there and then they shut down ministry of sound because it didn't suit their lifestyle and was playing loud music late at night and it almost reminds me of that in a way that right you you're aspiring to you know i want that cool and i want that edgy and i want everything but by the way i want it on my terms so it's got to do it this way yes that's not how it works it's actually not how it works it you know that's the cool thing you know and Bad luck if you need to get because clubbers are going to club till five a.m. So bad luck if you need to go to sleep at eleven p.m. You know, like yeah. you, 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 you have to embrace the whole thing. You can't just pick and choose. Yes. And so you can't go to a company and go, well, I like this bit about its culture, but not that. I mean, a company is a company. It's yeah. a thing, you know. And I learned after it became way more than me that it was now its own thing and had been shaped by more than just me. You know, yes. by the, all the people that started at the company, and it was. That was it. That was how we were known. That was why people were attracted to it. So it was like, you want to be part of a really hardworking, committed, fast-moving, very nimble company. But if you want to slow down all the decision-making and you only want to work until one minute past five every day, you know, I'm, I, you know, the whole culture I'd set was, look, if you need to finish till seven, finish till seven. But by the way, just go and get your hair done tomorrow morning. Mm. You know, like, look after your own time. Yes. Get the job done, though. But, you know, and get it done now because it's time critical. Like mm. being fast has been a key part of why Perth Symphony has got where it's got, that we've been hugely responsive. If a company's gone, can you do this in four weeks? Most arts company would turn around and go, you are joking me. Whereas we'd go, yes. Yes. And that comes with its consequences. But then if you're a nine to five type person, yeah. you can't make us, the whole, you know, which is what I realized last year, we, we cannot, you know, there are certain compromises we can make, but not beyond a... Yeah. certain point so then that that raises the question how do you portray the personality of the culture of the company at recruitment time so and we've had <laughs> to improve this really good question um so a couple of years ago I worked with a consultant and basically defined our personality as fun fresh and fearless right which in music is fortissimo so it, forte means loud one f two f's fortissimo play bloody loud Fortissimo is like, you know, if you want to break your instrument, not a, not a problem. Yeah. And you'll get that in like large parts of, op <laughs> yeah, literally. But, you know, at the peak of opera when someone's dying, the orchestra will be marked Fortissimo. So yeah. we picked those three Fs. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, that just emerged that it was very convenient for everyone to remember. But we're very, very clear about that now, that those things that, you know, we are absolutely committed that everything we do has to have a sense of fun and playfulness. And that includes how we go about it. So if you're getting stressed and having a rant in the office, need to breathe you know take some time out because if, if you're not having fun if you find stress we are a high stress environment hard to deal with we're not right 
you know, fresh, bring new ideas. Don't just do something because you've always done it. Mm. And, you know, and I'm constantly saying that in meetings, like, so have we thought what's fresh about this? Or are we doing mm. it the same way we did it last time? And all of that is brought up at recruitment. Yeah. And I think it is obvious from the outside, you know, and the fearless, you know. Yeah. We've, for God's sake, we played grunge rock and Nirvana with a symphony orchestra. Mm. You know, like I was, we got a lot of shit before we even played that one with people going, leave our music alone. Um, all this kind of stuff. So you've got to be fearless in the job. You've got to be yeah. prepared for your friends to go, what the hell are you guys playing that for? Yes. Does fast and fearless not also bring a bit of burnout with it? It's interesting. I mean, I've been close to burnout. <laughs> I was like, yes, 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 it does. And look, I haven't, I haven't learned how to lead that because I am the worst example. And trust me, it's a constant journey for me to um, show leadership in looking after myself. And I'm definitely doing it better at the moment um, because I've rationalised the job. So, but I've never demanded it. You know, like if you're burnt, you know, if if you feel like you're burning out, come and talk to me. We get some, you know, we'll get help. So, you know, I I hope that you know it's always been a case of I've I've made it very clear. I don't ever want to say no to an amazing opportunity that's just presented itself because we don't have enough people. Right. We will get the people if we like the opportunity. So yes. the team has to agree, but it's not everyone's responsibility to deliver it. Right. And I have recruited people at two days' notice. I go out, I find, I deliver. Mm. So, um, you know, yes, burnout for me because that's just constantly needing to deliver. And guess what? Nothing ever runs smoothly. No. You take on a four-week project going, yeah, we could just about manage that. And, of course, it should have been a 12-week project. So, mm. um, so yeah, look, it's just something that I, I need to manage. But I hope. And, look, we, have a, we will have a, a different modus operandi now. We have a new CEO in the company. Yeah. Um, who is, thankfully, far more measured than I could ever, ever be in the best possible way. So I think that balance is great. So when outside of PSO, when you're in other spaces so let's say for instance um i know you do a lot of coxing in rowing and other places do you find yourself doing similar sort of things as in contributing managing the culture driving things forwards or do you switch it off yeah no i switch it i can i actually can switch it off it's not a switch that i can turn off when i work though so um But in other spaces. In other situations. So, for example, you know, I run house concerts at my home in 2J and I can't help but be the one that sends notes to all the neighbours and sets up the community Facebook page. And, you know, I just find myself doing those things, Mm. but in a completely different style in the sense that, of course, I'm still make it all happen. um, But I don't write a run sheet, which I would do for every single Perth Symphony. This has to happen at this time. So nothing's forgotten. I'm like something's forgotten it's a house you know yeah if i don't make enough pies oops i'll serve some bickies you know Mm. whereas i'd never let that happen at work like the level of perfectionism well i mean because you know it's obviously an environment where people can get hurt if we don't look after people yes whereas you know unless you get a pie in your face or eat too much pie one of my pinot pies and pints concerts in my house yeah so yeah and when i'm coxing no, I, you know, I really feel I adapt to the role. So my role as a coxswain is to facilitate eight really gifted oarsmen in being the best that they can be. 
and that it's purely a facilitation in a way. It's, mm. You know, some people might say, well, it's a leadership role because you're telling them what to do. I'm not. I'm purely facilitating what they do. Mm. And I really feel I, I will just, I focus. I love it. I, you know, when you talk about flow, when I'm on the river coxing, I literally, I don't even remember what my job is that day. I don't think, oh, you know, when it was a CEO, oh, I'm a CEO, or, oh, I'm this, or, oh, I'm that, or what's happening tonight. Like, I'm so in the flow, refining that rowing stroke, working with them, talking to them. Yes. To improve it. So I think, yeah, I, I really um, change whichever situation hmm. I'm in. Because what I'm curious to know is, is, first off, whether you have this capacity to shape the culture around you outside, and you're drawn to do it outside of PSO, which it sounds like you are, and whether you sw can switch it on and off. And therefore, is it something that's just inherently Borby, or is this something you would be able to teach somebody else to be able to do? Because as we look at cultures well, around I, I would doubt very much if I could teach it. I think it's so it comes from very you. inherent. But even when I choose to switch it on or off or whatever, there are certain attributes, values, and behavioral patterns that are so innate in my personality that even if I choose to switch them on and off, I couldn't teach them. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So what I'm curious to know is how we start to develop the capacity to, for people to influence the culture around them. Yeah. You can, I think you can. I think you, I think everybody Every, as I say, every person that joined Perth Symphony influenced the culture around them, whether they were so doing it. Everyone's an active actor. 100%. Whether they're doing it as a leader or they're simply just being authentic, they will bring that. Is there a difference between the two? <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> yes. That's a whole different podcast, I think, Bryn, but um, <laughs> talking about authentic leadership. But, you know, just some people will bring themselves to a that work environment or that training environment and go, I know what my role is in this organization, you know, or this crew. Yeah. And it's really interesting with my crew, it's very clear the roles of each, you know, they're not just five and six and three in the boat. Yes. They're, that's the commentator, that's the organizer, that's the instructor. You yeah. know, they each have that and they will probably be that at work as well. Right. To a certain extent. Whereas mm. I most definitely am the encourager and I'm always, I mean, like, whatever happens, I refuse ever to be grumpy in public. A, because I never feel grumpy in public. I get energised by every human mm. I meet. But I definitely bring the energy to any situation. I am the energy, you know. I get, yeah. And I, only cause I know that because I feel it. Yeah. And I feel that I can lift people, and I do. Um, so, yeah, quite interesting. I'm mm. intrigued by some of the things you're saying because I haven't thought deeply about them mm. before. But so impactful. Probably my last question here is, what's the thing about culture that we need to be talking about that we're not talking about at the moment, generally? Um, I feel very strongly about this. That if we're talking about companies, mm. which we probably are, workplace culture mm -hmm. um, I think companies have done an amazing job of looking after the minds and bodies of their employees let's give you something stimulating to do professional development let's 
run workshops and this let's have a lunchtime netball group for physical movement let's make sure we sign up all our employees for hbf run to a reason all of that kind of stuff so the whole message of a company is work hard and be physically fit what i don't think we've done is go please experience pure joy because every single employee having a moment to experience joy mm. is quite an extraordinary thing so ask any corporate do you have music in your workplace do they do you have you ever worked for a company that has music in your workplace uh, only the radio in the background and right. that was probably irritating there you go <laughs> yes. so i think you know where and yet you know you can sit and watch um uh, telethon for two solid days and there wasn't one hockey game going on there it was pure music and talent yes. because that inspires connects united the whole of the state mm. towards achieving a goal to help our state it's always the art so if you want people to focus on coming together as a team to feeling as one why do you think rugby teams sing before they start playing you know like Bryn this is just so obvious to yes. me it's not even funny yes so in terms of a culture if you don't let people connect through creativity and connect through self-expression and just the simple joy of making music, then there is a massive part missing in the workplace. You know, there are a shed load of people that really don't enjoy physical activity. Yes. And yet the companies don't do anything for them mm. and what their skills might be. They could be extremely amazing at creating things with color and vibrancy and again just let them create joy in the workplace what opportunity do we have for employees to create joy immediate joy. bring all of yourself 100%. and express yes so to me there would be a huge cultural transformation if we could explore this and allow that to happen and encourage that and facilitate that and create space for that i think quite extraordinary things would happen in the workplace mm. I like that. Between you and me. And the people who are watching. And this. the people who are watching. There we go. Thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. You've given me a lot to think about. <laughs>